Yeah, bud. Yeah, bud. Yeah, bud. Yeah, bud. back friends to the joe blow horror show where we review rate discuss and break down horror movies not your fucking lifted pinky wine sipping dom perion <laughs> horror m- films it's movies all right <laughs> i moving am pictures folks moving moving pictures. pictures i am your host boss tuna with me as always is the man the legend, the oh. beast. Don't oh. come after him after midnight. This is T. Boo. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. And this this is awesome. I'm pumped for tonight. I've got the I've got the the butterflies. Like for real. Ooh. Like my nerves are tingling. I'm I'm excited to talk about both these movies. I'm excited to get into all sorts of shenanigans, and um, mostly I'm just glad to be breathing right now to be honest with you. Yeah, I see your windows down. It's um must not be too cold where you're at. You're in a t-shirt. I mean, unless you just farted and you're wafting it out or something. Yeah, no, I'm wafting this good fucking Louisiana air. I'm actually uh working from oh, over away from home, but I'm still in state. So uh the go. weather the weather's actually it's beautiful. It's pleasant as fuck. It's it's a nice chill breeze tonight. Uh and I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by wood woodlands. So woodlands. Yeah. I see a tree right outside the window there. So Boom. nice, nice, creepy, dark horror atmosphere going on. Love, Love it. it. Love it. I am excited as well to talk about these movies, but we also may or may not have a special guest coming in for our segment, which is zombie gem of the week. You're gonna have to stick around to um, part two of the episode for that. But, yeah, this week we are going to be chatting about a couple movies. Both, ironically, happen to be based off of novels. One author may or may not be a little bit more popular than the other, but (laughs) that means we are talking about misery and I am not a serial killer. Discussion of the topic this week is best or favorite horror movie openings segment as we just talked about is zombie gem of the week Uh, a couple quick things for you guys i'm gonna shame you right now game of thrones you're gonna be walking through the streets naked if you have not done this already getting shit as well shame shame (laughs) the nightclub podcast we just got done recording with the whole crew last episode this is yep. your reminder. If you haven't already, check out Tibu, Ricky, and Angel at the nightclub. Make sure you check that out. I also have some big news regarding 
the future of the Joe Blow Horror Show. And I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry to disappoint you. We actually are still going to keep going. We're not quitting. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, we are going to be, I would say, revamping the show. The ultimate goal is to increase usability. Uh, we've done some thinking, listened to some feedback. We are going to change some things up. The biggest thing you're going to notice is our whole goal is to streamline it and make it easier for you guys. I know some people love certain things. Some people skip certain things. We are going to start over by properly numbering our episodes. So we're not going to do 39.1, 39.2. It's just going to be whatever the release is. So you're going to see a jump from episodes. So you're going to see a jump from like, you know, 31 or 32 and it's going to go right up to 40 something or another. Also, we are going to be changing, I guess we'd say the format a little bit and you're just going to have to stay tuned until next episode where we give that big announcement. But I promise you it's for the better. The episodes ultimately are going to be shorter. It's going to make it easier for you guys to listen there will be show notes in there so you can skip around. If you don't like the way we do a discussion or segment and there's a segment that drive you nuts, um, you can skip it. It's going to be really easy for you guys. So stick around for more details on that. Lastly is, well, that is lastly. I mean, that's all I have. Oh, dude, news that big. I mean, look, I'm over here. I'm, I'm like, I'm excited about this episode already. I'm excited for the changes that are to come. And some people, some people want that change. Some people are scared of that change. Well, look, this is a horror podcast. You better be scared, but you better keep listening. All right. I'm dancing. I'm like a madman over here. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm kind of thirsty at this point. I mean, really all this news has got me parched, man. You hear that? I hear something. Oh shit. Oh, it's the dulcet sounds of a f fucking motorcycle. <laughs> oh, we better pull in. We better see what's going on. Well, what do you know, Tibu? We happen to find ourselves in the parking lot of the Titty Twister. This is my favorite place to go whenever I need a fucking cool drink. Man. Everybody knows our name, and we are pulling into the Titty Twister, and I am going to let you go first tonight. What, good sir, is on your drink menu? Let me pull this out of my ice bucket. All right. Up first tonight, I've got, by Good People Brewing Company... Their coffee oatmeal stout. Okay, Ooh. have not have not tried this yet. I don't know shit about it. Um, other than I hope it's got some of those malty, chocolatey coffee notes that I that I love in in good stouts, good beers of, of that caliber. And on deck, I've got this is from Louisiana now. All right, it's an American pale ale. American, God damn it, brewed in Baton Rouge. Yeah, oh, snap. Yeah, brewed in Red Stick, Louisiana. <laughs> Tin Roof Voodoo. Look at that. It's got a oh, skull. Oh, nice. Head. Love it. Yeah. That's old school voodoo, too. 
Yeah, man. So that's what I got on deck. And uh, besides that, I've got some uh, standard Blue Moon in here. Nice. Go, a good go-to beer. And do you have an announcement for our fans as far as Untapped goes? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> I recently uh, downloaded the app, and now I am on there. You can find me, Travis Maxwell Boone. Uh, look for the nightclub logo. It's the 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 moon skull with the little moth floating by it. And, um, yeah, uh, you, you can see uh, me updating that on the reg uh, now that I have it. I, I, I like the app, man. And my first beer that I rated on there was the Joe Blow Horror Show's Pumpkin Stout. Let me tell you what. that I, I've only had one so far, and I cannot wait until next season because that beer was fucking delicious. I didn't get to sing its praises properly on, on, on the uh, episode, which is our, yeah, our combined top 20 that we did. Yep of 2020 um yeah boss tuna sent me a nice care package that had um some iowa distilled whiskey called the real stuff and it was really fucking good but the bigger surprise for me was the the official joe blow horror show pumpkin stout i mean that when i opened it i saw the real stuff i'm like cool that's awesome i saw that fucking beer bottle though with that awesome uh logo from busy b and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I can't wait to drink this shit. Dude, it's so fucking good, man. Good job, dude. Glad you liked it. I'm glad you liked it. I loved it, man. Ironically enough, I'll be getting the garden going here before too long. It's it's obviously it's a lot different from the last time we recorded. It's a lot more uh, pleasant out. It was cold as hell last time. But, mm-hmm. yeah, all the snow's melted. I just got back from Key West, and – it's going to be time to till that garden, get it put in. I'll get the pumpkins going and there will be a, you know, a 2021 vintage of Joe Blow Horshow pumpkin stout, but not to get too far ahead of myself, we will be doing a spring brew as well. And I'm not, re- I already know what we're doing, but I'm not ready to share that yet. Oh, so shit. yes, I, I've, I've had some inspiration I would say fans of the show that really pay attention and listen to the Titty Twister segments will probably know which direction I'm going, but stay tuned. There will be a spring brew, and if I have enough time, I will do a summer brew as well before I get into the fall and winter. So, This yeah. is fucking the first time I'm hearing about this, ladies and gents, so I'm yep. really excited now. Like, damn, man. Yes, yep. And don't worry, you'll surely, and this time you're going to be, the problem is, is, is when I, side tangent here, when I made the pumpkin stout, those brewing beer will know what I'm talking about, but we had a lot of sediment in there with the way that it worked out and boiling everything down. So we were hoping to get 48 bottles out of there. We ended up getting only like 30 something. By the time I handed them out, drank a handful, I just didn't have a plethora to mail out. So unfortunately, Tibu only got one bottle. This next one, you'll be getting at least a four pack. So Tibu is going to pay for this. This oh. one was free. Now, no, now that I've had a taste, you're like a crack dealer. Now that I've had a taste, <laughs> yeah, I'm right. back for more, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, man, I'll pay that shit shipping and handling. I want that. I want. I want the next fucking Joe Blow Horror yeah. Show brew. Man. Good you'll job. Get, you'll get it. So. The titty twister here, the bartender's just been staring at me, waiting for me to find out what, what I'm having. So 
long story short, my son had a hockey tournament in the eastern side of the state. And there's a little brewery out there that we had talked about. I believe I just talked about them on the last episode or maybe a couple episodes ago. But it's called Back Pocket Brewing. I think it was last episode when we talked about the top 20. They had that peanut butter Oreo. Well, the brewery is actually in Iowa City, and that's where we were at for my son's hockey tournament. So I actually went, I visited the brewery. I ended up chatting with one of the um, uh, managers or owners or something out there. And I told him, I said, give me some of your crazy shit. So this episode is going to be extra special because I have two beers I will be talking about, both from Back Pocket Brewing. The first one I'm going to talk about is a collaboration between Back Pocket Brewing and Des Moines Golf, and it's called Underhill. It's a session ale. It's a pretty solid, I mean, it's, it's exactly that, a session ale. Session, if you don't know, means it's easy drinking, so it's not going to be like a 6 or 7%. It's, it's a little bit less ABV. Very mild, very good. It's crushable, as I would call it. However, I'm saving the best for last because this one here is called a Black Forest Cake, and I'm showing Ooh. Tibu right now. This yeah. right here, fellas and ladies, it's a barrel-aged Quebec Imperial Stout infused with fruit. This is – I'm excited for it. I have not had it yet except a sample at the brewery. So let's, let's give her a little taste, shall we? Yeah. Very, very fruit forward. You get slight sweetness. I would say cherry. It almost tastes like a cherry Tootsie Pop. So you get the cherry Tootsie Pop, but then you get the, the Tootsie Roll in the middle. This, if they made a beer like that, this is what it would be. It's perfect. Holy shit. Pretty solid. I'm very impressed with it. Very impressed. So shout out crack, to. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to crack my fucking coffee All right. oatmeal. All right, let's. Oh, we got it. We got it. No, I'm very impressed. This is, this is really good. It's 10% alcohol. So the oh, color, shit. I wish I could show you the color. It's pretty good. So maybe one of these days, these breweries will hear us and they'll be like, hey, try this beer. Give it a shout out. I'd be happy this to thing do tastes that. Like, this thing tastes like fucking for real dark coffee in a can. Bitter dark coffee. Love it. Love it. No, it's it's and this is actually really good. Nice. I'm glad. I don't have a I don't have a, a leave behind. I don't have an aftertaste at the moment. But folks, coffee I smoke forward. cigarettes. So yeah, coffee forward for sure. All right. Yes, Tibu does smoke cigarettes. Unfortunately, he's only going to be with us for the next twenty episodes before <laughs> Oh man. That'd be fucking cosmic. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ. All right, here we <laughs> the co- the cosmic jokes are bleeding into Joe Blow. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hide your kids, hide your wife. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All oh, right, folks, find, follow us on Untapped. I am under Boss Tuna. If you cannot find Travis Maxwell Boone, look for me. We're friends. Yeah, friends. we're on the same fucking page there. Let's get into some horror happenings. What say you? I'm ready, man. And we'll be right back after the break with sports. Actually, I am being told that we have some breaking news We are receiving unconfirmed reports of random acts of bizarre behavior and mass confusion from all over the city. 
Well, as we broke in with earlier, there have been widespread reports of confusion and erratic behavior as well as rabid-like symptoms being reported all over the city. Now, whatever's happening does not appear to be I've a got a handful, phenomenon. probably a couple more than you do, so I am going to go first with my horror happenings. It's funny that we are covering Zombie Gem of the Week as a segment this week because big news is Army of the Dead. The trailer had come out in the last couple of weeks. I am not a trailer guy, but it doesn't matter. I am super pumped for this. Zack Snyder is back. This is going to be a big budget effort, and it's going to be on Netflix. Dave Bautista is in it. It's got to be good. At the very least, it's going to have good production value, so I am pumped. Uh, that is coming out on May 21st. Go ahead with uh, whatever you got, T-Boot. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm to, to piggyback on you, I'm, I'm a fan of Zach when he does horror. I'm a fan of Zach in general. Watchmen, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman. I even enjoy that movie. So, And, and I can't wait to see his uh, Justice League version, his version. So, yeah, for, for my, my horror happenings, uh, first up, I've got – look, I'm an Evil Dead fan. So I keep up with that Evil Dead news. And Bruce Campbell gave an interview recently where he said that they plan on filming Evil Dead Rise by the end of the year in New Zealand of, of all places. Yes. Yep. And it's and uh, as mentioned before on this show, some episodes back, it's going to be in an urban setting. It's, it's confirmed. So it's going to be out of the woods. It's going to be in an apartment building or, or uh, maybe a high rise. Who knows? So what kind of shenanigans can Lee Cronin, uh, director of The Hole in the Ground, who was handpicked just like Fede Alvarez was by Sam Raimi to direct this movie? I can't wait to fucking see what this and, is going to be. And, and these, act, or these directors are very, very different from Sam Raimi in the tone of their, their if but I, they I still, say, films. I'm, I'm going to say, though, that Fede brought the Evil Dead vibe. He brought, he captured it. He man. did, but it, there was no comedy really in that. That was a lot more serious nope. tone. And, yeah. and neither was the first one. Even though it was yeah. schlocky because of the yeah. effects, it was not meant to be funny. And I think uh, Fetty really captured the overall feel of the yeah. first Evil Dead in a, in a much more, I mean, uh, the original Evil Dead is my favorite, but I love the remake. And I, I, I'm, I'm so pumped, dude, for this, this, uh, they seem to make one every like 10 years or so. Um, 2013 the was, was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah. The first one came was filmed in 79 released 81. So do with that, what you will. If you want to say it was filmed in the seventies, well then the next one came out in the eighties, then the nineties, then they skipped. Well, that's almost 20 years then. <laughs> it, well, it is yeah. 20 years. So I think they're, they're putting these movies out with care and with, with, a love and an affection and, and a, 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 like the, they care about the fan base of these movies and look at Ash versus evil dead, man, what they managed to do with that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I love, uh, I love the franchise. So I really hope this movie nice. succeeds. The next one I have is mortal Kombat. I believe we had talked about that a little bit. The trailer had come out. The movie looks legit. I mean, let's talk about the fact that, the first Mortal Kombat was pretty good. That was, I believe, was that Paul W.S. Anderson that did the first yep. Mortal Kombat? Yeah. He did a pretty good job with that. Uh, Annihilation was a different story. 
This one <laughs> has been confirmed. It's a hard R. It's rated R. This is, if you're going to make a video game adaptation of a movie and the video game is bloody and gory and mature rated, you have to follow suit with the movie. That I think, I mean, I'm going off on a side tangent here, but if we want to talk about why video game adaptations of movies were so shitty is because they did not match video games. The biggest fan of in your audience of these movies are going to be those that played the games. This is an example of they're doing something right here. So I have not seen the trailer. I've seen snippets of it. But I just already know that this is going to be pretty legit. The production value is where it needs to be. The blood gore, the effects, rated R. I, I, I'm excited. I mean, I am expecting this to be good. And let's talk about video game adaptations of movies and, and the turn it's taking. We can exclude Monster Hunter. But, but yeah, I'm excited. Well, yeah, dude, you literally just took what I was going to say next and yeah, I, I had Mortal Kombat and Resident Evil as the video game adaptation revolution or renaissance. Like, yep. yeah, Mortal Kombat looks fucking legit and people are buzzing about Resident Evil. So that was my next thing I had. Uh, I love the fucking trailer. I watched it. I fucking think it's awesome. I hope, I sincerely hope that that's not all the best parts of the movie. You know? That's that's why I don't watch trailers is because I'm a I'm afraid of that. So I couldn't help it. I had to see it, man. I had that. I I, I pick. I, I don't pick blame you. I don't blame you. I don't know why, but I pick and choose them. And and this one I had to see. And based on the trailer, I'm I'm sold. Like I'm I'm gonna watch this fucking movie. Yeah. So um, yeah, I've got one other horror happenings. Go for it. All right, Ari Aster. His next film is going to be called Disappointment Boulevard, and it's going to be starring Joaquin Phoenix, hot off Joker, and it's going to be produced by A24. I couldn't that, be thrilled. That just makes me nervous because I, 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 I've already tore a hole in my pants in the loin section, and I'm just like, I hope I didn't blow my load too soon. <laughs> what do you mean? I, I mean, that's everything perfect. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix coming off the Joker, phenomenal. A24, phenomenal. I mean, it's... The most depressing director ever making a movie that's probably going to be depressing about, uh, well, starring a guy that's been in a, the most depressing movie. <laughs> I mean, it's like, but it's supposed to be a comedy. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I cannot wait to see what this... I have... I'm, this is a movie I will not watch a trailer for. I'm not going to learn about, like, read about the fucking premise or nothing. I'm just going to go into this blind as a bat, and that's not a Joker reference to Batman. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm serious, though, man. Ari Aster is one of the best. He, he's one of my new favorite horror directors of the last, you know, 10 years or what, or five, even five, really. I mean, he, he's he's so fresh on the scene. Uh, him and Peel and Eggers, you know, like I can't, dude. I can't wait. This is gonna be crazy. Joaquin Astor, what the fuck? I know this is. It's yep. The only thing that I mean, I hate myself for it, but the one thing that comes to mind is, is oh, Robert Eggers has got another movie coming out. Oh my god, it's got 
It's got uh, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. This is going to be great. And then I was just disappointed. So I'm hoping Oof. this is not the same. Yeah. Oof. I know. Oh. I, I just opened a can of worms that we are not going to get into. But, no, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'll tell you that. Okay, so what I have is just a couple of quick ones here. Speaking of release dates, these next two are going to go quick. Shutter and Creepshow Season 2 are going to be coming April 1st. We don't get paid to shout out Shutter, but God damn if I don't talk about that at least a couple times a week. Shutter. Phenomenal. Get Shutter. It's fucking for what you spend at a beer or on a beer at the bar each month is what you can have the best horror streaming service out there. Yeah, it's literally like fan. four and a half bucks a month. It's crazy if you're a horror fan and you don't have this app. It's it's yeah. it's weird. Yep. Uh, so yeah, Creepshow 2, obviously that... I mean, I do we need to talk about Creepshow a little bit? Or, I mean, it's it's a super popular anthology from the late 80s, I believe, early 90s? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, uh, early 80s. Early 80s. No, is it early 80s, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. But no, Creepshow 2, yeah. go ahead. I, dude, I loved the first season. Um, not loved it like the original. The original movie is one of my favorite horrors of all time. I love that shit. But um, I loved the first season for what it was, especially the Dollhouse episode. And uh, I, yeah, I'm, I like the holiday episodes they put out, too to a lesser degree but they were still fun a nice watch so yeah man i'm I'm ready for this delayed season two nice yes delayed for sure uh last thing i have is just a quick one uh i love a quiet place Uh, it was one of those movies that was sneaky good did not expect it to be as as good as it was john krasinski did a great job one of the other, the movies also that got pushed is supposed to be a 20, 2019 release, I believe. And due to COVID and pandemic and whatnot, it got pushed. But it's coming out way earlier. This was supposed to come out later this year, and it's actually coming out uh, May 28th. So get excited for that. I, I am just going to throw it out there and say 2021 is going to be – a spectacular phenomenal year for horror movie releases. It's, it's, I mean, we're getting a lot of good shit that was pushed from last year, such as quiet place Two, um, candy man, uh, Halloween kills. So yes. Antlers. Antlers. Yep. Get it. Saint mod. Get excited. And also last little, I guess thing for me, Godzilla versus Kong shoes aside. Motherfuckers. Ooh, I I would say I'm a I'm a, I'm a Godzilla guy. Godzilla. Fuck yeah! Well, that's I mean that's the the camp I'm in. But you know everyone everyone loves who they love. But yeah. all I'm saying is you know King of the Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Godzilla's Godzilla's fucking. It, it, you know I I've been a fan of of Godzilla since I was a kid. So uh, and I love the original Godzilla versus Kong. It's so fucking awesome. It's so. As a kid, it blew my mind, but like even now, it's so campy and fun. And I know this is going to be—I mean, legendary. You know, they're making yeah. these movies, and these these special effects are fucking—you know—they're all CGI, so it is what it is. But they're fucking awesome, and and I'm a fan. You know, and they're not, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what they do with this. 
I'm excited. I, I, I enjoy those movies. I put them in the same camp as like your Marvel and Avenger movies that they're just fun. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. They, 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 they appeal to a broad except, audience. We'll say. Except the original Godzilla. And I would say Shin Godzilla, those movies, how, how you say that they fucking transcend their boundaries. Yeah. Um, in my opinion. Excellent. That wraps up poor happenings. Unless you have anything else. No, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good with, uh, with all that. Get shutter and maybe hop on HBO max for a little while. They, they've got a lot of good shit coming out on there too. Yeah. Just saying. I would, I would second that. I would second that. Well, let's get into our discussion topic. Talk is cheap, motherfucker. So I stole this. <laughs> I'm going to say this on front street. Um, <laughs> we, we, we were going to like, uh, say like, Oh, that, that could be a good one for uh, an episode coming up. And then I'm like, well, I didn't have one. So I'm going to steal this one. <laughs> our, our discussion topic this week, this episode is our top five favorite or best openings to a horror film. And that, that just means a scene that, in my opinion, makes the, the opening of the film like, oh my fucking God, I'm so ready for this movie. Or however you want to judge it, or it's a good standalone by itself. Like you could, you could snip it from the film and put it on YouTube as a short film and it would be like a perfect little, you know, whatever, whatever way you want to judge it. So I think since, since I'm bringing this to the table, you want me to go first? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So in, and, and I'm going to say this for mine, they're in no particular order. I'm just, kind of throwing them out there top five you know like whatever recently covered on the nightclub the opening to house of a thousand corpses the opening to this film is per this is my example of you could snip this from the movie and just have it be its own weird little story you see on youtube like there's this weird gas station sideshow oddity and some some folks break in to try to rob the place and little do they know that the motherfuckers inside don't give they give less of a fucking shit and the tables turn it's the music it's the lighting it's the editing it's the dialogue between the characters i mean you get a a conversation about a planet of the apes doll getting stuck up someone's ass then people are at gunpoint and some guy named Ravelli burst in, screaming, wielding an axe, and chopping people down. All tied off with a clown that says, motherfucker got blood all over my best clown suit, and shoots him in the head. I mean, the opening to House of a Thousand Corpses is fucking phenomenal, man. That opening alone gets a 10 out of 10. The movie does too, but 10 out of 10 for that opening. Nice. I, this, I'm going to go ahead and say this was tough. When you first had talked about having this be one of our discussion topics, I'm so first thing I'm going to say is I did put mine in order, kind of. It's it's tough to do it, but I did try to, you know, which one do I like best kind of thing. The first one that came to my head, even though it was the first one, it's coming in at number five, but it's just because it was one of those where I mean, this, this movie, I'm not exactly sure what year it came out, but it was probably the early 2010s, if I had to guess. 
and it was one of those that were I was in the process of getting hardcore back into horror, and that was Ghost Ship. I saw it in the theater. I remember sitting oh. down watching this, and boom, right away in the movie, you get that fucking cable that lets loose and it rips across the top deck, severing everybody's upper body from their lower body. I was just like, oh, snap. Except the captain. He got his head cut off for some reason. Yes, yep, the captain. Yeah, the captain got his head cut off. I was like, this is awesome. Unfortunately, (laughs) I would say that the movie went downhill from there, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because I still do like the movie. But, I mean, that was... I mean, that was, that was a virgin on prom night. I mean, they just, they blew their load in the first couple seconds and it was, and that was, that was a dark castle production. So that's the same people that made like 13 ghosts remake and house on haunted falls. Probably. (laughs) No. Uh, did they, I don't think so. I'm I'm just giving you shit. Oh, (laughs) Um, no. So number five for me is ghost ship just because it's so memorable. It was one of those where, you know, I, I was going back into seeing movies in the theater again and I saw that opening. I was like, Oh snap. Like that's, that's, that's pretty legit. So that's my number five. All right. And my next one, and I, I did mine not as favorites because I, I have like a little shtick I'm doing here. So my next one is, okay. I could have gone with the original and the original is great because you, you open up on a fucking leaves floating in water fog over the water rising on the lake and the camera pans over all of that and it's the force guiding through the woods okay evil dead 1981 we all know what i'm talking about but i chose evil dead 2013 the remake or reboot or whatever it is because that opening sold me on the movie i was very skeptical about this film because i'm skeptical on i'm I'm more open. Anything that than... touches one of your favorites, yeah, you're going to be well, skeptical. Well, I'm, well, it's on remakes, really. I'm more open-minded now on remakes than I was in the past. But when they said they were going, yes, and you're right about that. When they said they were going to touch Evil Dead, I was like, wait, why? Like, what the? And that's how everyone feels about their favorite thing. So, but I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm I'm going to skip it. Um, because you know, remakes had been all the rage, and they weren't really all that good. But I finally sat down and watched the movie. And this movie opens with a woman walking through the woods and she gets knocked out and brought back to this freaky dungeon of cat bodies hanging everywhere. And these witchy ass people reading from a book and talking in a language no one knows. And she's tied, the the woman who was walking in the woods is tied to a post and her fucking dad. Her fucking dad is the one that had orchestrated all of this because she's possessed by the fucking Kandarian demons. Folks, this movie opens up with a literal bang and you get a fucking epic title card with Evil Dead just screaming at you on the screen. And I I, I fucking was so sold. I was like, whoa, what is going to happen next? Like I could not wait to see and by God, does this movie deliver, man? I fucking love it. So the opening, this is one of those openings that just sold me right away, and I fucking love it. Like for that reason alone. Nice. I 
yeah, we talked a little bit pre-show. I, I love that movie. I don't know how that came up, but yeah, I agree. I, again, I'm going to say my list is a little generic. I'm like, God, I wish I could pick something original, but this is another movie that I remember seeing. I was fairly youngish when this came out. So I was in middle school when I saw this, but I remember it being like borderline you know, is my mom going to let me rent this or not? And I, we rented it, watched it with a bunch of my buddies. Drew Barrymore was popular enough at the time. And I remember just sitting there like, oh my God, like that, like the movie spent a decent amount of time building up this character. You know, you're making it seem like this is going to be a main character. And, and for me, this was the first time I had ever seen this in a movie. So when Drew Barrymore got killed in the beginning of Scream, I was like, oh, shit. And then, you know, that, that like, yeah, that has scene happens. And then, boom, you're happy-go-lucky kids walk around with school or whatever it is. Uh, that, that, was, that, that really drew me in. Um, I'm gonna, truth be told, I haven't seen this movie in many years, but that opening scene still is, is right up there. I mean, it's, it's, whenever you talk about best openings in a, in a, in a movie, you're, you're going to have a couple of that boom pop right into your head. Um, and this yeah, is another fuck. one. So that's a great fucking opening, man. Like the whole phone conversation. Like yep. I saw it too, as a kid and, um, uh, dude, yeah, it's, it's one of the best, uh, hands down. Like I'll give that, give it to that for sure. Um, so you want to talk about generic and, and, uh, humdrum. One of my my next favorite is uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre opening. The camera, the, the, the well, <laughs> the camera is basically black, all black, darkness. You're surrounded by darkness, and you hear like the scraping sounds of someone digging through the soil. Then you get these flashes from a camera, and these crazy sounds that like that weird. It, the way they did that sound effect is so cool. They rubbed like metal on like a cello string or something like that. It's something crazy. And you get these images, these flashes of corpses being dug up from the ground. And then you hear a news report of grave robbings. And you see this haunting image of a skeleton stacked on top of a fucking uh, headstone from a, from a dug up grave, you know, dressed in a suit but all bloody and decomposing as, as this news report goes on about Texas being under the siege of grave robbers in the area. And to then, then it goes in, I mean, the, the title, the credit sequence, you shouldn't really count, but I, I want to count it on this one because it's all sunspots and, and solar flares and negative images of that where it's all red and black and, it's so it's so down to earth and bloody and gritty and raw and then cosmic as fuck the next moment. I love it. Since I was a kid, I loved it. It's one of the best openings in horror history, in my opinion. I mean, it, it, it combines so many things I love all in a few minutes and, 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 and creeps you the fuck out. It's great, man. Nice. Yeah, that... I mean, you want to talk about iconic sounds. It's that shutter sound, that chicken. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Iconic, iconic. My number, my number three also, I mean, all of these movies are rated pretty high, but my number three is one that, it's actually one that I saw right before 
I started uh, the Joe Blow Horror Show. And it was one of those that I watched it and I'm like, I love this movie. I want to talk about it. I want to hear what other people talk about it. And I knew in the first five minutes that, okay, I am going to throw my phone on the other side of the couch. <laughs> I'm tuned in. I, I want to be there. And with the aesthetics of this movie and not knowing anything about it, it follows was <gasps> one that is truly, Ooh. truly scary. And it yes. does a great job of setting that, that, that stage for you with, you know, the two on a date kind of deal. And then you're like, holy fuck, what's this guy doing to her? Oh, he drugs her, whatever, roofies her. What's going to happen next? Ties her up to a chair and then the It Follows comes. The whole movie is phenomenal, but the way they started it with that beginning and intro drew you in and you were just, you're like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's truly creepy. It's one of the movies that really is because it's like whenever I watch a movie, you know, maybe it's just because I'm a typical man and whatever. I'm like, I could take hammer. That wouldn't happen to me. <laughs> this is one of those where you're just like, I'm fucked. Like, what do you fucking do? You run and whatever. So it was very effective. Uh, I really, really like that intro and I love the movie as well too. And that's, it follows for my number three. Oh, hell yeah, dude. That, that, just like you described that intro is fucking creepy unsettling and gets you right into the movie in a way that like you're supplanted in this just state of oh fuck oh fuck what what, what yeah like you said what can i do that's perfect um my next favorite is return of the living dead Yes, the, love the it. opening of this film is so great because, okay, you've got two characters, a mentor and an apprentice type, you know, a young and an old working at this warehouse where they're stocking shit or whatever the fuck they're doing. I, I forget that part, but they, it's like a medical supply warehouse or something. And the older guy and the younger guy have a good back and forth and you, you really like them. You get the feel for their characters and it's fun. It's kind of fun to watch them, you know, interact. Then, then the movie takes a turn where the older guy starts telling the, the newbie about the government hiding some things here, some things that uh, it's a reference to George Romero's night of the living dead, because guess what? This is a sequel to that movie. A lot of people don't know that. It's a branch off sequel in a different direction from uh, Dawn of the Dead or whatever. So that, that, that alone is cool for like, you know, horror history, but he, he lays out this really creepy, it, it gets creepy for a minute, man. You get jump scared, I think by the phone, right? The telephone rings. So it's building up this creepy ass fucking scene where he's like, do you want to see the bodies that they brought back from this outbreak that happened? And they go downstairs and, and and he goes up to one of these fucking it's it's like encased in a I don't know what you would even call it like it's just in this canister that's secure as fuck it looks secure as fuck and then there's the dead zombie in there and and the young guy's like oh my god like uh we, we need to be careful something like that the old dude's like oh don't worry this was built by the army corps of engineers and he slaps it and boom it busts wide open. Gas starts leaking everywhere. They're coughing and choking and crying. 
the movie starts with the gas spilling out all over the fucking cemetery next door. Dude, it it's so hilarious. I love this this opening for a film. And it's, it's definitely a different tone. Yeah, definitely a different tone from what you'd expect from something that's um, you know, a a, a a living dead one, if you will. Yes, yes. And I didn't know the first time going in, going into that movie like the tone to expect. I, I had no idea. So when they were being kind of funny at the beginning, but then they got real creepy and I was like, oh shit. Then it just it when he slapped that fucking canister and it burst the gas, dude. I was like, oh, oh this is so good. Ten yes. again, ten out of ten uh, for the, the this this opening is so incredible, man. Return of the Living Dead. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, give you a little little insight here. My number two and number one also happen to be some of my favorite movies ever not just horror but ever number two is one that i believe i saw this freshman year of college as really early on i've talked about my one buddy a hundred times on this podcast that really helped me get back into horror i remember watching this movie and the intro you knew what the movie was back then i was watching trailers but the intro of this had nothing to do with what the movie was about it was just so perfectly shot and it gave you that feeling of loneliness desertedness when jim wakes up from his bed and he's walking across that famous bridge in london and you're like there is nothing here there's some garbage blowing across the bridge 28 days later it was perfectly set up for that movie it gives you that I am alone. And then boom, that you get that one zombie chasing him through the streets. And that's when it starts. Uh, I, I absolutely love 28 days later. And I, I love the whole him waking up alone in a hospital. And like, just, it was one of those where if you remember the movie, he wakes up and he's so thirsty. Like when he's trying to find something to drink and he gets that pop can out of that machine, it makes you thirsty because he just frantically opens it and drinks it and you're like, Oh my God, I'm so thirsty right now. It does it so well. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 I adore it. I adore it. And I will say that the opening of 28 weeks later, I, that deserves to be on my list, but I didn't want to have two of the same on there kind of thing. So, I mean, I would put that right up there, but this one's a little bit better than that. That's why I left it off. But I mean, I would, I would, I mean, if I wanted to have two of the same on there, they'd be, you know, number three and two. So, but no, very, very effective opening that sets the whole tone of the movie of that deserted isolation alone kind of thing. So, yeah, I felt like Walking Dead, uh, which I mean, I didn't read the comics. So if the comics go the same way, then fuck me, whatever came first. I don't know necessarily, but uh, I feel like the Walking Dead aped off of the beginning of 28 days later 100 percent did okay so the comics don't open that way i i don't know about the comics but the show sure does yeah i mean you get rick grimes waking up in a hospital and wandering around all by himself yeah very very similar 28 days later yeah great opening so i've got and if you don't mind because my last one will tie into our first feature but okay I've got I've got an honorable mention I want to throw out there for okay. your number one. 
my honorable mention is a movie we've covered. Ooh. The intro to this movie. It's an honorable mention because it's a Joe Blow movie. All right. But I love the intro nonetheless. It's Santa Slay. Okay. <laughs> yes. This, this yep. intro is so much fun. This family sits down to dinner. Go back and listen to the episode, folks. But for anyone who wants to know, they, this family sits down to Christmas dinner and they suck. They're all shitty. Chris Catan's there. Fran Drescher's there. Uh, fucking Michael Kahn, right? He's there. James Kahn. Oh, J- James Kahn. James Kahn. He's there, so that ties in as Michael well. Michael Corleone, James Kahn. I can see where you get mixed up. Yeah, sorry. But my last one will tie in as well. So we're getting the double tie in here. Um, <laughs> and it's got Bill Goldberg. All right. <laughs> Who's next? And he comes through here as Santa Claus and tears this family a new one. And then you get the lore behind Santa. And again, I include the title credits because I don't mind when a movie has kind of bland title credits like to just get you into the movie. But I love when they actually incorporate like uh, Night of the Demons, right. you know, like they incorporate the title credits into the story yep. or into the theme or the feel of the movie. I love that. And I think uh, Santa Slade does a great job giving you the behind the scenes look at who Santa really is in this world and this universe where he's a bloodthirsty motherfucker, you know? So I love the opening for that. That's my honorable mention. My number one, is probably not going to be a surprise to anybody, but this, the reason this is my number one is it's, it's not because it was a shocking and a, or uh, intro or, or something unexpected, but this is really what got me back into horror. And if I'm going to be honest, I would have to say it's the 1990 version rather than the 1968 version. Um, and that's because not because it's any better because the whole movie is shot for shot, which is the night of the living dead. But I saw this in the mid nineties on monster vision. I believe it was with Joe Bob. So I'm sitting there a, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old kid, whatever it was watching this. And this was my first real introduction to zombies hook, line and sinker. I was, I was, I was in, the movie scared the crap out of me. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And that is what really stemmed my whole love of zombies was this intro, this movie, it was Joe Bob and it became an obsession. Really? You get the car pulling up. I, I, I still remember, I mean, this is so bad or not bad, but I mean, like I literally remember everything about the first time I watched this my uncle uh, had just moved out of her house. We transitioned his bedroom, which was our basement, into like a den. I remember the couch. I remember the exact same couch. I remember where I was sitting. I remember the TV. I literally remember everything. And I remember sitting there glued because I was scared shitless watching this. I mean, there's so much nostalgia in this. It's, it's just stupid. Um, but no, Light of, Night of the Living Dead, when, you know, he drives up and, and you know, they're, they're going to the, the grave and, um, you know, they see the shambler in the background and, you know, he's teasing her. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I mean, that, yeah. that's just ingrained in me. I love it. Night of the Living Dead is, is, is my number one. Fucking A, dude. Great opening. One of the all-time best classics of all. Yeah, like it's, it's 
10 out of 10 for an I guess scene. I have a couple of quick, I'll let you finish this off since it's your segment. I have a couple of quick honorable mentions and it's going to be the lodge in midsummer for obvious reasons. These movies are phenomenal yeah. movies all around, but just how shocking they are because both movies, if you think about it, and, and this might be the case with a lot of these movies on the list, but both of these movies have extremely, I would say, graphic or shocking or surprising intros, but then they go into like happy-go-lucky kind of thing. But you're sitting there in the theater like, yeah, this part of the movie is like a, a rated G kind of family, ha-ha, funny sitcom thing, but you just saw some crazy fucking shit. Um, so that's why I had to mention those. They're newer movies, so I didn't want to put them on my list, but they had excellent intros. I agree with both intros for those films. Finishing us off and tying us into what we're going to cover in a second is my last favorite opening of all time. Talk about surprising. You get Stephen King trying to withdraw money from an ATM, and the ATM calls him an asshole. And he's like, honey, this machine just called me an asshole. <laughs> and then you get fucking ACDC blasting over the fucking speaker. And all these fucking cars on a bridge tumbling over each other, watermelons flying through windshields, people dying, cars going off the bridge. I'm talking about maximum fucking overdrive. From, a, from, from my childhood, this opening has always been epic. Like, over the that top. That movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Uh, look, when you're a kid, things are just way scarier, man. And, and that's, that's – I feel like horror is meant for kids more so than, than adults maybe sometimes. But, you know, I, th th that movie, <laughs> that opening – it it was so like chaotic and it's still so it i love chaotic openings and or finishes i love when when a movie does that like goes yep. all out at the beginning or and or both and this movie just went all the fuck out on the opening in my opinion and it was written by Stephen King and it was directed by Stephen King and our first feature for the night happens to be an adaptation of Stephen King and that is an excellent way to end our discussion topic. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hop into first feature review. You almost died. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too. And as soon as the roads open, I'll take you to a hospital. Meantime, you've got a lot of recovering to do. There is nothing to worry about. You're gonna be just fine. I'm your number one fan. My name is Annie Wilkes. I think one of my clients, Paul Sheldon, might be in some kind of trouble. You mean Paul Sheldon, the writer? Well, everybody sure likes those misery books. They had it at the store, Paul. They said he checked out last Tuesday. Isn't that a little strange? I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me. Oh, Paul, I've read everything of yours, but the misery novels. You must be a good man, or you could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You dirty bird. How could you? Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery spirit is still alive. I don't want her spirit! I want her! And you murdered her! You don't think he 
understand, do you? And don't even think about anybody coming for you, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. Is this what you're looking for? Eventually, you'll come to accept the idea of being here. Annie, whatever you're thinking about doing, please don't do it. Annie, for God's sake. Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. God, I love you. All right, we are back. And I promised you guys, as soon as we got back, we would hop into our first feature review. But I have a little surprise for our listeners. And I've got a little surprise for Tibu as well. Tibu, do you have any idea what the surprise is? No. <laughs> okay. Well, can you see me, Tibu? Hold on one momento. There you yes. go. Okay, so before we hop into our next feature review, we have a special guest that's going to pop in for these movie reviews. What up, T-Boo? Can you hear me? Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> You're lagged out. Oh, fucking yeah. What's up? What up, dude? Holy shit. <laughs> um, my mind is I'm so fucking thrilled. Oh, man, this is awesome. So you guys are lucky because we have, we're, we're having a threesome here right now, so I hope that you guys are having just as much fun as us. Obviously, that voice is Double D. What's up, Double D? How you been, buddy? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah your son talked shit to me yesterday when I was disc golfing. He's like, Drunk Darius! Yeah. Fuck you, Drunk Darius! And I yeah. was like, yo, V, watch this. Nailed it. Yeah. No, my wife was working out of town, and I took the kids to the park, and lo and behold, my son's like, Dad, Dad. And, and it's hilarious because my son calls him Drunk Darius, not Toby. He's like, is that Drunk Darius? No one else knows me as Drunk Darius. <laughs> Why is he calling me Drunk Darius? Yeah, there's like what, there's like five or six other guys that were six with you. Us, yeah. yeah. Uh, my son's yelling, drunk Darius, drunk Darius. That's hilarious. But I won. Well, there you go. Everyone mark Boom. that down. I won. Get on your sports book app. Put money on them. So. Also, Boom. I'd like to give a shout out to Kenna. Thank you for giving me a ride here. I yep. told her I would say that. Yeah, he promised he'd give her a shout out. She better be listening to this. She, she's going to. I'll there send it to her. All right. Sweet. Okay, so first feature review. I'm going to let Tibu go ahead, buddy. Uh, what did you pick and why? I pick, again, I'm, 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 I'm fucking ecstatic right now. This is awesome as fuck. I, I picked uh, Stephen King's Misery. This is an adaptation uh, directed by Rob Reiner. I know Boss Tuna has this all written down, um, but uh, yeah. yeah, this movie is all winter horror galore, right? And that's the theme of this episode, so to speak. I know we're at the end of winter and it's all melting down, but these are a few winter horror films that we wanted to talk about, and Misery's the first one. Dude, I fucking love this movie. What year did this come out? 
Okay, so Misery is a 1990 movie. It's rated R, coming in at 107 minutes. What do you guys think this got on the B? Oh, fucking nine. On the B? What's the B? Uh, IMDb. Oh, wait, nine. For sure. No, maybe eight. Maybe an eight. Eight. Drunk Darius says an eight. Tibu? Probably, yeah, like, like a 7.8. Something like that. Exactly 7.8. Good work. You fucking looked it up, didn't you? <laughs> no, no I, I, no, I never do. I swear to God. I, I don't look right. these up. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes. Give me a percentage. What do you guys think this got on a Rotten Tomatoes percentage? Green or red? Uh, the, we, we always go with the audience. I'll go red fucking six. 60%? I would go like 90%. It's exactly 90%. Holy you fucking shit. liar, T-Boo, dude. You I swear fucking to God. cheating motherfucker, I God, no. Yes, no. you looked it up, man. Ask, no, boss, soon. I've gotten these wrong before, yes? Oh, yeah, well, every time. Yeah. Except, yeah. yeah. Oh, what a no, no, not every time. Not every time, man. <laughs> One time. No, All I swear. Right, I Lord. swear. I had not. Okay, so um, what do you what's guys the think? lottery number is going to be? <laughs> yeah, no, can can you tell us what the lottery is? Oh, yeah, sure. yeah, they do Saturday morning. Um, budget wise, so keep in mind this came out in 1990. What do you guys think the budget of this movie was? I would say single location, 10 mil. I'm scared to guess if I get it right. Yeah, I might murder I'm, you. If you drunk, get this drunk. Darius right. says 10 mil. <laughs> I'm gonna say three mil. Twenty million. Yeah, I say it's gonna be more than that. Uh, you Damn, threw that's... one away. You knew it no, too, didn't no, you? No, I did not. I did not. That's way higher than I would even think. He was gonna that's... say twenty million, but he's like, oh, I don't want to guess that. It's, it sounds yeah. too close. <laughs> um, no, but uh, this thing actually grossed fifty-five million, so it did pretty well. This nice. was directed by Rob Reiner, who a lot of people are gonna know Rob Reiner, whether it's from Spinal Tap, which is pretty popular, or his other Stand by King, me. yeah, his other Stephen King adaptation of any guesses? What else did Rob Ryan? No, Stand Stand yeah. by Me. Stand by Me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So obviously the novel was written by Stephen King, but the screenplay was written by the legendary uh, William Goldman, and he is probably, I mean, I would say next to maybe Kevin Williamson, he's going to be one of your your kings of your Mount Rushmore's of screenplay writers because he did everything from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid to Princess Bride to even uh, The Ghost in the Darkness and another Stephen King um, novel, which is a very good movie, one that I love, Dreamcatcher. So this guy was was a stud. Obviously, we know the stars James Caan, which Dreamcatcher is a good movie. I love Dreamcatcher. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I read the book. I read the book too. So, yeah, yeah um, I read the book as well. Yep. Uh, okay, so James Caan. Obviously, we talked about this. Uh, is in this. <laughs> and I wrote before. So just to fill drunk Darius in, we did best horror openings, and one of our winter uh, specials was Santa's Sleigh with Bill Goldberg. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Yes. Nice. I, I think yes. we talked about it probably. We, we probably did. But that had an epic opening as well. Um, but no, I was writing down like, oh, what else did what, uh, James Caan do? James Caan was in a shitload of movies. Not a lot of horror cred. Santa Slay, uh, Sicilian Vampire, 
The Good Neighbor, those are about as close as horror as you can get, but a lot of those are thriller outside of Santa's Slay. Uh, but he's most notable for, um, I, I believe he is Michael Corleone in The Godfather. He was in Elf Eraser as well. Kathy Bates is also the next big star in this. I love Kathy Bates. Yes, she's very yeah. good. I would say as far as horror goes, she's probably most notable for Dolores Claiborne, Dialique, Diabolique, Possessed, but probably most notable in American Horror Story, the series on FX. What say you guys? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. American Horror Story. She's really good in what she plays that slave owner for, for knowledge. Yeah. Yep. What's that, season uh, three? Yeah. I the Coven? Yeah. Yep, um, but she might even be more popular outside of the horror realm, known for her role in Fried Green Tomatoes, but no, ultimately, office. I've never seen The Office. Everyone knows her from The Office. She's in, I, I didn't even know she was in The Office. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's, that's what young kids these days would know her from The Office. Okay, well, I was going to say The Water Boy, because she's yeah, Mama, yeah, Mama yeah, Boucher. Yeah. <laughs> these movies are going to Mama said. My mama said. Mama said alligators are angry because. <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, we can't. I mean, this movie does not have a, I would say, a large cast of characters, but you can't go on without talking about Lauren Bacall. Um, she played, she had a really small role in this because she was the, what was she, the producer? Or no, the publisher or whatever, right? I don't know. Yeah. What well, I know about this movie comes from that Family Guy like <laughs> short guy. <laughs> yes. well, she was in. She was in the Shootist, uh, Murder on Orient Express. She was a huge uh, actress way, way back in the day. So, uh, a little trivia I have for this: a lot of people probably still don't know because this was held close to the vest, if you will, for many years. It took decades for this to come out, but King wrote this book. And it was basically a representation of his battle with substance abuse. Kathy Bates or Annie Wilkes represents his dependency on drugs and alcohol and what it did to his body. So the whole famous scene of the hobbling with the ankles well, and whatnot. I don't know that scene, but I know he fucking wrote Cujo when he's all coked up and drinking. But also I thought this movie came out because he got in a car accident. Stephen King uh, hightailed it into the Dark Tower series parts uh, five, six, or yeah, five, six, and seven. After his, uh, he got hit by a van while he was uh, walking. Yeah. He he went for walks, I guess. Maybe he was coked out, but he he got hit, and then um, that was after this, though. I think um, yeah. I think that was in the early nineties that he got hit by that van. Maybe I don't um, know. I might I be wrong. I might be wrong, but I, I think that's what. It yeah, isn't that did. what happens with James Con? Yeah, so James Con, he, yeah, he is, yeah, he gets in a car accident. That, excuse me, how she finds him, but yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of parallels with this. So I mean, like the ankle, the scene where he gets his ankles broken, is a representation of the drugs and alcohol, how it quote unquote hobbled him. So that's why that was written in there as well. A couple other cool things I saw was there was a lot of actors that were tapped to play this. And ironically, James Caan was lower on the list. The number one person for this was Jack Nicholson, but he turned it down and it was mainly because of his experience with another Stephen King movie. Um, 
obviously that the being shining. the shining yeah so with just the grueling effort it was to work with stephen king he just did not want to go forward with that so he passed on it but they also tapped the likes of harrison ford bruce willis william hurt turned this down twice i mean they're al, al, robert de niro al pacino uh, they all turned it down. I, I believe it was William Hurt ended up t- turning this down because he felt that the character was weak and basically he, I, I want to say, quote unquote, a loser. Um, after he had his ankles broken, he was just a helpless loser, he said, which I'm sure a lot of them regret it now because obviously this movie, I mean, look what it did to Kathy Bates. I mean, she won uh, um, Best Actress for it, so. King was so impressed with Bates in her role of this that he specifically wrote Dolores Claiborne with her in mind. And he also ended up, he was writing the stand at the same time. Uh, The screenplay for that, he changed over to include her in it as well because Ray Flowers originally was R-A-Y Flowers, a male, and he turned it into R-A-E for a female for Dolores or not Dolores Claiborne, Kathy Bates. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of shit in here, yeah. Kathy Bates actually is the exact opposite of the character she played. She cried multiple times before shooting and had to basically calm herself. There was a scene where she kills a young police officer by rolling over him repeatedly with a lawnmower. Shit, I gotta gotta watch this movie. (laughs) There was another scene where... She, well, it's a, it's the end scene we'll get to with the fight scene, if you will. They had to shoot that a bunch of times because she was crying. And, and she was, seems like, was, like such a good fucking person. Yeah. And she always plays like a crazy. Yes. Woman. That's, and, and I wonder if that's why she's so good at it too. So the last thing I'll say is that James Conn and Kathy Bates had very different, I would say styles of acting. So Kathy Bates was very classically trained in theater, which required a lot of practice and rehearsal. James Kahn was the exact opposite. He'd get himself in the mindset and just hop into it. And she was getting really frustrated with this because James Kahn was like, I'm not going to practice with you or rehearse. And she was getting visibly pissed off and upset. And she went to Rob Reiner with it. And he pretty much told her, use this anger and, uh, frustration and put it into your character and they say a lot of that is what caused uh, the performance that it did last thing I'll say is Bates was the first woman to win an Oscar for best actress in oh, a horror movie. film yep yep so ironically enough we had recently talked about did they call it a horror film when she got it or did they call it a drama they they did they did um, and, and even to this day there's still only a handful of other women I want to say she would have, she or she should have. Uh, Black Swan was it? Natalie Portman in Black Swan one one. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. No. I don't know if it's more, but they considered it to be that as well. Uh, and then we just recently covered Rosemary's Baby, and that the lady won an Oscar in that for supporting actress. That wasn't the me old lady. Oh, yep, no. the old lady, the neighbor, or whatever. Yeah. I guess that's all I have for trivia. Is there anything either of you guys wanted to add before we hop into what is known as misery? Once again, no, I'm ready to go. Cut scene from Family Guy. Your favorite cut scene from Family Guy. <laughs> that's all. I got nothing. T Boo, what do you got? 
I've loved this movie since I was a kid. So there you go. Boom. All right. Well, <laughs> why don't you bring us in, Tibu? Yes. This film opens on a cigarette, a match, and a glass of champagne. As Don author Perignon, Paul Sheldon, mind you. Yeah, Don Perignon. As author Paul Sheldon types away at his typewriter. He's just completed his latest novel. And in doing so, he earns his cigarette and his champagne. This is like his little tradition or whatever. And the, uh, Paul Sheldon is played by none other than James Conn, looking studly as a motherfucker. Just saying. I think he's he's a cool dude. Because he's rolling out of his hotel in a Mustang, like a fucking, I don't know, what like what year is that Mustang? I believe that was a 70s like a mid seventies, if I had to guess. I thought I thought it looked kind of kind of nostalgic and cool. Right. So it, he, well, I'll tell you, it's the last car you want to be driving on a mountain pass with snow. Yeah. Well, and he's got no chains on his tires and and shit like that. Um, <laughs> he's just hauling ass too. He's leaving his hotel in the dead of winter, and we get our title card while he's cruising just through these snow covered mountainsides. And a sudden snow flurry envelops him, and he tries to continue through it. He's got his windshield wipers just fucking blasting, but he loses control and rolls his Mustang off the side of the road through a snow embankment and, like, just goes tumbling down, man. I got to tell you, out of all the things of this movie, the one part that I thought was done, I'm just going to go ahead and say it poorly – was this crash scene. And it might be me being over analytical because I was born and raised in the North and I've done a lot of these winter snowy driving things, but that part just not believable. I thought it was just done poorly and it was just hard to accept. I I feel like they could have done a better, I mean, throw like a, a moose or, or a wolf or something out in the road to have them swerve off but no that that part was i was like come on yeah no i mean <laughs> he goes tumbling dude and uh, the, the effect the effect is it's well done um you immediately go into a flashback that paul's having where he's visiting his agent or and and or his publisher it's the same thing i think lauren bacall yep yeah and she's like you know y- you can't kill off your bread and butter can't do this the the centerpiece the namesake of your novels and um she's like it's earned you floor seats to the knicks or whatever (laughs) and he he's not persuaded though and um he's he's convinced he has to do what he has to do and uh you know that's going to come up later in the film but uh (laughs) unbeknownst to him doing so leads him to meeting his quote-unquote biggest fan so um during the snowstorm and uh like we're 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 barraged by the fucking the whiteness here um you get this brutally injured paul sheldon who's rescued from his car by i don't know who knows someone and taken back to their home and it, it turned out to be his shoulder like a linebacker carried him dude. up that mountain yeah, they, they, they were prepared for this. He he awakens to find Annie Wilkes staring him down. This this person who rescued him from, from Great dying. Great cinematography, I got to say. 
Oh yeah, shot. yeah, yes. And overall, overall, and that shot is yeah, yep, awesome man. She she's claiming to to Paul that she it, it's so lucky for him that she found him because she happens to be his biggest fan, and she's also a nurse. She tells him that this blizzard has knocked out the phone lines, the power. Well, not the power, but that the roads are blocked, and um, she's he's going to be stuck there with her until all this clears up. And uh, you know, he doesn't have anything to worry about. She's going to take care of everything. And this at this point in the film, I I I don't know about you guys. The first time you saw the movie, but I was immediately unsettled by her demeanor from the opening shot, where you see her. I agree because yeah, you're sitting there, whether or not you see trailers, the movie has been out long enough where, because my first time watching this was just in the last couple of years, you know, something's up and you're like, okay, I don't really believe anything of her, but yeah, she, she had that, like, I want to say almost fake smile. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Like, uh, she, she, she has a demeanor about her that is, there's an un- unnerving, like and Kathy Bates captures. Look, I, I, I've said this before, and I stand by it. A lot of people cite, and I love. I fu- I'm a fanboy for Anthony Hopkins, and a lot of people side by his performance as Hannibal Lecter being the definitive performance of horror in the '90s or whatever. Um, at least from a character study, and like type situation where they're performing a very specific role. I think Kathy Bates does a better job in this movie. She has more screen time and she really dives way into this character for, to me, this is just my opinion here, but yeah, I get very unnerved by her uh, in this movie. Double D first time you saw this movie, were you, were you like this bitch is cray cray from the moment, like from the jump, even to today. No, he had no, no, just jumping in. Just oh shit! Just randomly jumping in, yeah. Boy, I want to know. Did I hate to jump the boat too early? But did she intentionally crash his car? No, no. She randomly just walk up on him. Well, we'll get to that. Okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's no. Cool. I've never no, seen the- this movie because I've heard about it. I've seen about it. I don't. This is not a movie I want to watch. I don't think. But in this fucking boss tune, it makes me watch it like a Serbian film. I don't want to see this. I think <laughs> too painful for the film. viewer. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't, don't ever see it, dude. I don't plan on it. Actually, you can't unsee it. Yeah, I'm good on that baby raping. I'm good. You gotta oh, watch oh, it. See, you, do you gotta watch it. Oh, no, anyways, no. onward. Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> the next morning, Annie is giving Paul a shave with a fucking dude, a fucking straight razor. Oh, Fuck that, man. Again, cinematography perfect. So Just, he's, he's all laid up, broken legs, right? Yeah, he's laying in a bed. He's well, okay. So last scene, too, they showed his legs and they were fucking mangled. Dude, oh. Bad. Oh, yeah, he's all laid up and. Yeah, he, he's not going nowhere. He, he's got uh, two broken legs, a broken arm, and some broken ribs. So he's laid the fuck up. And she's shaving him and giving him his pain medication. And she's explaining to him that, you know, she's going to treat his wounds, uh, the multiple fractures he has, 
blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, his agent is reaching out to the local sheriff's department where the, uh, the hotel is where he goes and stays when he writes his novels. And um, she's trying to find out if anyone knows where Paul might be because it's unusual for his daughter to not hear from him at this point or for them to not hear from him after he's done with his novel. So she has good reason to call and be worried. He should have been back in New York by now. So he's way over here in, I think this is Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Yeah. And it, you find out as the viewer at this point, it turns out it's been a week since that blizzard hit and he got found by Annie Wilkes. So it, the, the, the sheriff finds this out too at the same time as the viewer that it's been a week since that blizzard and the sheriff's gears start turning in his mind. You could tell when he talks to his uh, secretary slash deputy slash wife. <laughs> That's his yep. wife, man. Yep. Um, his only other partner in this whole fucking town is his wife, it seems. There's no other cops. It's such a small town, I guess. So after that, he starts to investigate Paul's stay at the Silver Creek Inn or motel. Uh, but he comes up short. The, the clerk there is like, yeah, he, you know, he comes in and, yeah, he left. So he should be in New York by now. Uh, meanwhile, over a warm bowl of tomato soup, Annie opens up to Paul about her disdain for profanity in his new novel because he, he allowed her to read the, you know, the thing he'd been writing, dude, she goes fucking berserk. The first time you see her true colors, but the best part is, is a couple times before this, he's asking like, Hey, can I make a phone call? Can I call my publisher? My daughter's worried sick. And she's making all these excuses that, well, you know, the roads are open, but you know, the, um, the, the phone lines are still down. But when I go into town, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I make a phone call for you and call them. Yeah, no. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, so she's been, <laughs> she's been saying that shit. And well, just in this scene though, like right here where she starts going the fuck off, he, he granted her, you know, access to this early work and she's fucking yelling and telling him that like, you know, people don't talk like this. And he's like, where I'm from, everybody talks like this. Like, this is commonplace. And she's fucking spilling the tomato soup all over the bed. And that causes her kind of to snap back into sanity. And she starts apologizing. And then this is the weird part, man. This is where you know this movie's going past the point, right? Where she's like, she says, she, she lets it out so meaningfully but then backtracks so quick she's like i love you paul uh, for your mind your creativity you know like that's what she meant but you know you know right. it's more than that so after that um the sheriff and his wife slash deputy they're they're uh they're driving back from the silver lodge in and they're going down the same mountainside when the sheriff spots the overturned mustang and buried in the snow and as as they're investigating it, where well, he, he doesn't he doesn't spot it at first. It's not it's not until the helicopter scene later. Really? Yeah. So he goes to the motel, and this is again the very beginning of the movie opens up with the match, the cigarette, and the champagne. 
So he goes yeah. to the hotel. He's like, yeah, he checked out on Tuesday, such and such, whatever. I brought him his Dom Perignon and he had his whatever and he checked out and he was gone. So then the sheriff goes and he's driving up and down the road with his wife and he's trudging through the snow. It's waist deep snow. He's walking because he sees a branch. Ultimately, what made him stop the vehicle was there's a little branch, uh, like a little uh, uh, pine tree that snapped. So he's walking through and, and, you know, he gets up to his waist and his wife's ribbing him and he's like, whatever. So he turns around and he starts walking back up and then the camera backs and it pans out and you see that there has been a snowstorm and it covered the car, but you can barely see the tire visible. And if the sheriff would have walked another couple steps, he would have seen that tire visible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, the helicopter scene to me later is when he finds the house. I, the Mustang was with his wife, right? No. So the must, the the helicopter scene is the house and the Mustang. So he sees the the Mustang. The sheriff, the sheriff got buried halfway deep in the snow when he went to look for the, the Mustang. Yep, but I he never found later. the Mustang. Well, they have the news there later. Yep. So that they spot the Mustang, and then the next scene is is with the wrecker. In the news and everything, so boom, they found his car. The the state trooper, I guess it would be, was like, "Yep, we expect." He basically it was funny because he's like, "Yeah, we basically expect him to be dead. He's somewhere out in the woods. We'll we'll go find him." And then he sees Annie Wilkes' house, and that's how he goes out there the first time. Oh shit! Well, I know that from the helicopter scene. I, I guess I, well, I wrote it down that he finds the Mustang. They got the news crew there. Well, before the news even shows up, Annie passes them in her truck. Yes. And she's got this look on her face of like, oh, fuck. Because when she gets back after that, she's excited to show Paul that she bought the latest misery novel that, you know, from, from the local bookstore in, in her little town or whoever carries books. And that's when she keeps telling him like, yeah, the phone lines are still down and uh, blah, blah, blah. But later that night when they're having dinner, she's gushing over the new misery novel. Like she's like, it's great. Uh, <laughs> and the pig shows up. <laughs> the pig yes. named misery. The pig named it, misery. This, this pig barges into Paul's room and Annie comes in after like, Oh, I named her after misery. And it's, it's so, it's such a weird it's so it's such a weird scene but she's like i'm 300 pages in now and she deems the novel perfect nay divine it's divine she she says this fucked up thing she's like like that ceiling that dago painted (laughs) it's like holy shit and she's like the sistine chapel and the new misery novel are perfect You, you get this scene later that day where she's she's talking about her husband leaving her and all the no lonely nights she's had working late as a nurse and uh, at the hospital, which led her to finding the misery novels. So you learn a little bit more about her as a person and why she loves this book. And maybe she's depressed, you know? I'm going to guess that she killed her husband. Ding, ding, ding. Um, <laughs> yeah. she, she, I have also, never seen this movie. I'm just guessing. At the same time, she's talking about all this. Okay. She's, she's shaking this. <laughs> we're gonna get to it she's shaking this piss jug around that that paul pisses in you know she's just this like was, this was a funny scene yeah 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 she's nonchalantly shaking this piss jug around it's like he's getting all worked up and pissed off yeah paul <laughs> okay so it's, it's, it, no 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 you didn't okay. later that night annie marches into paul's room 
like he's sleeping. She startles him out of sleep and calls him a dirty birdie. Dirty you, birdie. You dirty you birdie. birdie. Yeah. She, she's finished the last Misery novel and is furious with the fucking outcome of this thing because Misery dies during childbirth. Like many women, Paul points out in the 1800s or 1700s, right. whatever the fuck. It, it's a, his novels are period pieces. So she, she, he's trying to explain this to her. And, but to her, that's the equivalent of Paul murdering misery. She snaps and smashes this fucking table against the wall, like the small table that was housing a potted plant over Paul's headboard. And she's like, uh, I shouldn't be around you for a while, she says, right? Yes. And she reveals that she never called the police, the hospital. Paul's agent or his family that he's all alone and that no one knows where he is. And so everything no we'd suspected, she finally admitted it. And we're only like halfway through the movie. So you're like, Oh fuck, what's this second half going to look like here? So uh, again, I think it's even later that night. It's, I think it's all the same night. Paul tries to leave his room after he thinks Annie has gone to sleep. Cause she leaves. Like, I think she hauls ass uh, in her in her truck and comes back and he thinks that she goes to bed but um, he falls out the bed out of his bed hard on the floor and he's still all fucked up so he, he he's just and I gotta say the effects they did with his legs and making him look like that were so effective there was nothing at all fake about that like you could show me actual pictures from a hospital and I'd be like, yeah, that's what they look like. They were done so well. I was, I was so impressed with how good they looked. No. Yeah. And I mean like him, him falling out of bed and after you see those practical effects again and makeup effects on his legs, his, his body, uh, mostly his legs though. Yeah. But when he falls out of bed, you really feel the pain. Like when he hits the floor and James Conn just expresses it like perfectly dude, like his performance and coming up later in, in a scene a little bit later, speaking of being in pain, is, yeah, like top-notch, man. Top-notch from, from both leads in this movie. It wouldn't be as effective if they weren't both great, and they both are. But um, he hits the floor, he's all fucked up, and he, pa- I guess, passes out from pain, like on the floor. And the next morning, uh, <laughs> there's, there's old Annie Wilkes. She finds Paul on the floor and helps him back into bed, trying to be all like, like to tie him, be all sweet and tender. And she, she, you could tell though that there's this menace underneath, man. That that she she knows like he's fuck you, bitch. But she's still gonna keep going with this fucking charade. She tells him that God has delivered Paul unto her to show him the way. And in order to do this, Paul must burn his new book, which is basically an autobiography kind of, you know, it's from, it's based on where he grew up and shit. So it's like a, his, uh, labor of love novel, you know, his true story novel he's trying to write after this famous misery series. So she wants him to burn this profanity laden book. And she brings in the small barbecue pit with some matches and some lighter fluid. 
He tries to talk his way out of doing this, but this only prompts Annie to casually spray lighter fluid across his bed sheets while she's trying to convince him otherwise. Very, she's very like, well done and effective. Oh, sure. dude, it's it's fucked up, man. Yeah. She's just like, you know, Paul, and just like just sprinkling the fucking lighter fluid all over his sheets. Paul reluctantly lights a match and tosses it onto the fucking fuming pit, igniting a fire that sends his manuscript burning into the air, billowing black smoke and ashes and lost dreams. <laughs> and I, after, I'm going to be honest. I was a little surprised that he ended up – I was thinking that they might burn the book at some point, but I was surprised that it was at that scene because then it really did a good job making you – feel how helpless he was and how hopeless the whole situation was. So I was like, ah, they're not going to burn it yet. Like that's going to be, cause I thought that that whole book was going to be almost a, a separate character in the movie in that she was going to make him rewrite certain things or something like that. But when he actually burnt it, I was like, Oh fuck. Like that's. So yeah. what? Never mind. Let's keep going on. I haven't seen it, but I don't know why she would keep him hostage after he burned it. Explain it to me. You, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, T-Boo. Okay. <laughs> no, so a- after that, a- well, she well, she, she burns the book, I got to say, though, and she's like, oh, heavens to Betsy. Heavens to Betsy, like trying to put this fucking, all these these uh, ashes and flames it's like out. like burning on the, the curtains and shit in there. <laughs> Yeah. it's so fucking stupid. And then you hear the sound of the helicopter outside. This is the sheriff searching the area from above, and that's when he sees the farm. It, it, it's the next scene after this that Annie tries to surprise Paul with an electric razor and says, you know, he can start doing things for himself and uh, right his own wrongs. He can write a new misery novel. And she's, she's purchased for him a typewriter on a deal for 50 bucks because it's missing an in funny but, that uh, based on a true story. The very first typewriter Stephen King got was missing an end. So that's why he put that in there. Oh, I, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that Paul, Paul points out to her though, that the paper she bought for him to type on, according to him will smudge when it types. He even proves this to her and asks her for a, uh, you know, a different type of paper when the next time she goes to town, well, this sets her off kind of, she explodes a little bit, screams at Paul that he's ungrateful and unappreciated. Like she's, she doesn't feel appreciated by Paul for all she does for him, taking care of him, saving his life, blah, blah, blah. And she slams this fucking heavy stack of smudge paper down on his knees, his broken, disheveled knees that are in, you know, he's sitting in a wheelchair at this point. He's getting better, but, you know, he's in a wheelchair. So Paul, Paul's in pain, but his plan is working because earlier he had spotted one of Annie's hairpins on the floor. And now that she is driven off like back to town, she's in a huff. She's going to go back and get some more paper, the perfect paper for Paul. He gets the hairpin and he unlocks the fucking door. So he's loose in the house. He's going to try to make a phone call, but the phone lines, you know, they're not working. I think it turns out the phone is like an antique, right? No, like the, well, the guts are all taken out of the phone. And, and this is a very effective scene too because there's a lot of like suspense with him trying to 
unlock the door and dropping the the hairpin and then he's in you know he's like basically he he's he's limited he's in this wheelchair he can only move so fast and whatnot so yeah this is a pivotal scene in the movie because the entire movie for the most part has been shot in this one bedroom so this is like not only is paul sheldon being able to go and explore us as audience are able to be like all right great we got a different set piece here what's gonna happen so it was like it was a big shift yeah it it, it was it, it is an effective scene he's still he's still trying to get the fuck out he he goes to the kitchen right like where he's trying he can't he can't force his wheelchair through the fucking door of the kitchen so he has to like get on the ground and crawl to the kitchen door to try to open it and see if he can get outside yeah it's too narrow for him to get his wheelchair in oh and uh he also finds a shrine to himself it's got like a picture of him with all the misery novels like around it yes and also, don't forget, he bumped into – she had a little display of figurine set up. A glass penguin. Yeah, and he knocked over a glass penguin that he put back up. Yes. Yes, that is very, very important. So <laughs> that being said, he, he's trying to get through the kitchen door, but it's locked as well. And at the same time, Annie is approaching back from town. So, so Paul is forced to fucking – struggle through the kitchen, get back in his wheelchair, and he's driving up the driveway. He's he's trying to get back to the room. She's walking up the doorsteps and he's she's she's walking through the fucking front door while he's trying to lock the bedroom door back from the inside with the hairpin. Like all this is going on. The tension builds so fucking well in this scene. Like you really get nervous like is she gonna fucking catch him? Like what the fuck's gonna happen? She walks in with his with his new paper, and this is the scene where he's again like he's sweating, and he's profuse with the sweat, and he's breathing hard because he just managed to get back in his wheelchair in the room in position to look like he never fucking left. And she's like, "What's going on?" He's like, "You know damn well what's going on. I need my pills, Annie." Please and this is a good time to talk about away. the pills that she has been feeding him since day one. So clearly she, did you ever catch, I mean, I don't know if it was important or not, but there was a certain type of pills that she was giving him. Did you ever catch what they were? No, no, I didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, she was giving him pills that were, I don't know if it was, I, I don't, I don't know what it was, but they were pills that he clearly didn't need. So it was some, something that she was using to, you know, either keep him where he was or, or affect his ability to get better or something. Yeah, it was keeping him fucking drugged up. I mean, I don't know if it was going to stop him from healing, but it, she she was dosing him up for sure. Probably Ambien or something like that. Yeah, no, I don't I don't know that. I don't know uh, the name of the drug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on OPM. So so he he has to fucking deal with this shit. He he's going to now have to write a new novel. Uh <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You literally just got through writing a book. How do you muster the inspiration, the creativity to to really do this, to do this justice? I mean, it's it's I don't know. To me, it's fucked up. But she she tucks him back into bed. She she goes to get his medicine. He hides he hides an entire packet of of the painkillers, and and she tucks him in with a and blows him a kiss. It's like. 
Oh, uh, it's cringe, you know? It's a little sadistic, yeah. Which is, it, I think she's, it's Kathy Bates. I haven't seen it, but obviously she probably plays it pretty fucking yeah. well. So I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Tibu, but when he was out there, did he not run into a book of hers, like a scrapbook that pretty much showed her history? And this is what gives the viewers the not yet. Of what you re- not yet? Okay. Nope. Okay. That's coming up. That's why I think I think I do think the the car scene and the helicopter scene are separate, but I'll I'll save that for later or for never. But I, I think those are separate scenes, my dude. But um, I'm I'm a hundred percent positive that the very first time he was out with the car that he didn't see it because he it was a good scene where you're like oh god he's gonna find them and then he goes back up and doesn't find them. The police are giving a statement to the press at Paul Sheldon's as Paul Sheldon's Mustang is getting pulled from the roadside. So we're jumping back to that. So yeah, seems you're right. Boom. One for boss tuna. Cause that's the next scene hey, I've got written. Boss tuna. Yep. They're giving a statement to the, to the press and the sheriff seems to think Paul didn't crawl from his vehicle rather based on the dents in the car and shit like that. He was likely pulled from the wreckage. So again, the sheriff's a wily one, you know, he, he's, He's getting on to he's catching on to things. And Paul's also emptying his pills into a folded slip of paper and he starts writing the new misery novel. He's going on about this this business. And although he makes it, you know, some pages in, aside from naming a gravedigger after her, Annie tells Paul he needs to rewrite the whole thing. Misery needed to be resurrected from the earth, not given a blood transfusion. Okay, because she was buried at the end of the last novel. So make it make sense. All right. I agree with that, even though my favorite horror franchise has little to no continuity. Evil Dead. (laughs) It's so crazy and all over the place. Um, After the rewrites, Annie is thrilled by the changes. She's like overjoyed by Misery's return. She says it's like. It, it's it's the best. She's going to play Liberace records all day to inspire Paul. But he flips the script and he's like, will you have dinner with me tonight to celebrate Misery's return? And this stuns Annie. And so she agrees like, fuck yeah, bruh. So they sit down to a meatloaf dinner <laughs> and Paul suggests a toast. He pours a couple of glasses of wine and they toast to Misery's return, but before they drink, he suggests candles. Like, you know, this has to be romantic, right? We need candles. So Annie runs off all school girlish and, and giddy to find some candles. She's like, oh, yeah, I've got the line around here. And Paul takes this opportunity to spill his pill medication in that paper slip he's been hiding it all in into her wine glass. So he pours that shit fucking in there, and it, it dissolves lickety split and he returns lights the candles raises a toast and fucking botches it she knocks over the candle the wine her wine glass it breaks paul's just sitting there. disaster he's just sitting there looking so defeated man <laughs> yep. it, it cracks me up almost like how broken he is at this point god damn so this was a scene it, it was, it was pretty funny. One of the funny things I saw was James Conn showed up to shooting one day, so fucking hungover. They shot all day. 
Rob Reiner decided like, we can't use any of this. I believe this was part of it, the original one. And they didn't tell James Caan what happened. Um, he made an excuse and said that, yeah, something happened in the lab with the film. We had to reshoot. Well, James Caan found out later that it was because he was hung over and didn't want to use it. He offered to pay for the whole, whole day's set and everything as well. So I thought that was wow. kind of cool. yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Damn. All right. Uh, <laughs> after this, we get a montage of Paul Sheldon typing, type, type, typing away his new novel with Annie continuing to praise his work periodically, chapter by chapter, what have you. A lot of time goes by, and he is so many chapters in, seemingly buying time to get stronger because you see him, like, lift-weighting the fucking typewriter at one point, like, building up his arm strength, you know? He's still in a wheelchair, but, you know, he's building it up. So one night during a rainstorm, a depressed Annie brings Paul his pills, and she's like, you know, here you go. He tries to ask her what's wrong, and she says she's afraid of losing him once the book is finished. She feels inferior to him, unwanted, unloved, but she loves him and knows he can't love her the same way based on what's happened and everything else. I mean, they don't say that, but that's what's implied. And then she produces a gun, a revolver, but she leaves saying, you know, she doesn't want to Find, have to find bullets for the gun. He's like, and, I'll, I'll probably use this later or something like that. Yeah. Paul quickly heads for the kitchen to grab a knife for further self-defense. And on his way back to the room, because he he's got the hair. The What's that? He rolls there in his wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. He unlocks the, the door with his hairpin and gets out. Yeah, he's rolling around. But on his way back, he finds a scrapbook that he starts to look through and what it reveals are multiple newspaper clippings of people falling to their debts, including her husband oh. and then some, and some other like lead nurse at this hospital that she was going to be working at. And, and there's other people's deaths alongside with her being promoted at these hospitals. Okay. That, then there's numerous news clippings of infant deaths at yes, maternity. That's the worst part. The kids, all the kids. That was based on a true story, by the way. Fuck kids, dude. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, so she's been working at these maternity wards, and she's been, you know, maybe killing babies. She's, she's pinned for this, and Paul, like, he finds that that newspaper clipping too, where she's been accused of it, and he's horrified. He returns to bed and he's practicing pulling out his knife, like lying in wait for Annie to come through. And then he falls asleep. Uh, and on, later that on. night, yeah, I know, man. Later that night, he awakes in his bed and then boom, he goes, he, dude, he goes to fucking get his, his knife or whatever, but she just stands there in the doorway. Like you see her, her Look feet, like him. the shadow. Yeah. And it was just a ruse. And, and and she goes to bed or whatever. But then later, again later, he cuts again, and she fucking drugs his ass. She fucking stabs him with a fucking syringe, and he's out. So the next day, Paul wakes up completely tied down to the bed with Annie telling him she knows he's been out of the room. Here we Both go. Times. Both times she knew. 
She noticed the penguin. He almost broke, but placed back facing the wrong direction. Always faces east. (laughs) And then she noticed her scrapbook had been gone through. It, It had been touched. So she found his knife and decided the best way to settle this was hobbling. Boss Tuna. No. Yes, sir. I know this part. I don't want to hear this part. Hobbling, man. I mean, did you know about hobbling before this movie? Not in this sense, no. Neither did I. Annie proceeds to place a wooden block between Paul's legs right above his ankles. And using a sledgehammer, she fucking breaks both of his ankles. Oh, bad. This is the notorious scene from the film, I think. Um, No, you're right. I've never seen it, but I know about this. Yeah, and I'm going to say this. It's very effective, but if you just see the scene, it's like, ah, okay. But everything leading up to this really makes it hit home, in my opinion. Like, yes. I think it counts to to see the film and then get into this, but so he's he is fucked again. He's all he can't go nowhere, man. Um, the sheriff sees Annie telling someone off in town, like sometime later, while she's driving around, and uh, she nearly gets into an accident with him. And this again sends his gears turning. He does some research and pulls up an old newspaper clipping the same one Paul saw in the scrapbook with her connection to deaths at maternity wards. And um, he go ahead and he, he, he visits the bookstore where she bought the last misery novel and finds out that Annie had been buying the typewriter, the paper, all that shit. He speeds over to Annie's house. Like, fuck, I'm onto it. And as he pulls up, Annie barges into Paul's room, drugs him again while he's sitting there, and hides him in the basement. Just fucking throws him down there. Fuck you. You're on the floor. <laughs> he falls to the earthen floor. And she goes and lets the sheriff in. And uh, they go on and on about how, you know, like she's she's the next Paul Sheldon, she's telling him. She's like, yeah, proves she's his biggest fan by knowing, you know, details about him. But then she's like, oh, I've been sent a sign from God that I'm going to be the next Paul Sheldon. I know that he leaves this hotel and this, that, and the other and writes like this. And I'm going to try to like mimic his writing. And uh, th- she offers to make him what, like uh, some tea or whatever. The sheriff yeah. is looking, looking through the house. He finds nothing. And he's trying to leave now. He thinks she's just a weirdo, whatever. But in the basement, Paul manages to knock over the barbecue pit from earlier where he burned his manuscript on and it makes a loud sound, which turns the sheriff around immediately. He's like, like, what the fuck? He goes back in the house and he barely discovers Paul before Annie blows a hole in his chest with a shotgun, sending him down the stairs right next to Paul. Point blank. Yep. Bruh. Come on, man. This scene is fucking amazing, right? Yeah, it, it it's it's shock. Even though you know it's coming, it's shocking. It's graphic. It's very effective. And then you're like, they did such a good job of making. I mean, I I don't. 
use this term very often, but they made the sheriff seem like a sweet guy. Yeah. The, the, the relationship he had with his deputy secretary slash wife was just, yep. it was, it was, it was really good. So yeah, it was very effective. This happened. You're like, Oh fuck. I, I, I felt really bad when he died because I loved his character and Annie calls this a sign. She's like, they're going to be here soon and we have to die together. Two bullets, one for each of them. And Paul agrees with her they must die so misery can live but first he must finish the last novel right yep he's got to finish it so annie gets his wheelchair and paul stashes some lighter fluid in his pants in the basement before he goes up and deep into the night paul writes with a fervor trying to finish every last page and annie is exhilarated with how the story is playing out she's like fuck Yes, this is the best. And just before he's finished, Paul requests his cigarette and his champagne. So Annie brings it in and he asks if, no, she asks, did I do good? And he's like, yeah, everything except one thing. We're going to need two glasses. So Annie is like beside herself. Like, oh, God. Yeah, I get to partake in the ritual. So she goes to get another glass. But Paul douses all the pages, the final pages of the new misery novel in lighter fluid. And when she gets back, his monologue to her is so fucking awesome, man. He fucking breaks her down. And then begrudgingly, he lights this shit ablaze. This leads to the two of them getting into an all-out struggle, a fucking full-on fight, dude. And she shoots him in the shoulder. He crashes through a window. Like, <laughs> I mean, it gets crazy. They topple to the floor, and Paul finally turns her over. He grabs some of the burnt pages of this fucking novel she's been forcing him to write. And he's like, you want it? You want it? And he shoves it in her mouth. He's like, I hope you fucking choke on it, you sick, twisted fuck. Like, dude, that scene is very, so very fun. good scene. Yeah, he's oh, doing all man. those like weightlifting deals with the the fucking typewriter, so he can bash her over the head when she bends over to grab up the burning manuscript. It was perfect. We take a time out, Boston juice part. Probably. <laughs> it just it just leaks out. Onward. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'll no. move that in. <laughs> <laughs> so Annie gets up. And and but she she gets tripped up and falls headfirst onto the heavy typewriter. This is the indication of the end here. Paul's cr like crawling out of the room. She seems down for the count, but attacks him again. And this time he manages to get the best of her. He grabs a small statue of a pig. This is different from the novel, by the way, to an extent. And um the pig represents misery, represents her love of misery, blah, blah, blah. I see what Rob Weiner was doing, but anywho, Paul grabs this small statue of a pig, fucking smacks Annie right across the fucking face with it, and then smashes it into her fucking head, killing her indefinitely. She's done. Are you for sure she's done at this point? She is done, yep. So you get Paul meeting with his agent, in the next scene, it's it's like six months later or something like that. 
He's still walking and, with the cane because his legs are fucked up. Yeah, he's hobbling around. And they're having this discussion about, you know, maybe he should write a book about what really happened there at that cabin with Annie Wilkes. And Paul, you know, is like, fuck that. Why would I want to relive the worst time of my life? And as he's talking about Annie Wilkes, a waitress is walking up with a, a like a, a whole tray full of fucking, you know, they're in a restaurant. It's full of desserts or what have you. It's Annie Wilkes. And as she approaches the table, he talks about how, you know, coming across these people, <laughs> his biggest fans, you know, it's kind of fucked. You, you've, you cut to this lady not being Annie Wilkes. It's just some, you know, waitress. And she's like, I have to tell you, Paul, I'm your number one fan. And he smiles. He says, thank you. But as the camera, as the film fades to black, his smile fades with it yeah. to this disgust and fear. And the movie ends on that note. And it's just like, God it perfect, damn, dude. It was a perfect ending. Yes. Perfect ending to this debauchery, man. This this getting getting caught up for being, you know, good at your craft by this fucking psycho. I've always taken this movie as as that, just that on the base level. I don't find deeper meanings in it. I just take it as a story right. in and of itself about an author getting captured by a fan who is yeah. over the edge, a crazy motherfucker. And on that level, this movie is a fucking perfect film for me. Uh, I love this movie so much. Do you want to just carry into your... Uh, final thoughts and ratings, or do you want to go last? This is your 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 movie. You just tell me. No, no, I'll say it right now. This okay. movie is a ten out of ten for me. I'm following up Cube <laughs> nice. from before with another ten out of ten movie from my childhood that I love. I've seen so many times, and every time it manages to just floor me with the performances, the way it's shot. Pacing, everything is perfect. Uh, I, I have no faults with it at all. Other people might. That's fine. I'll, I'm, I'll, I want to hear them. You know, if they do. For me, this is this is just back to my childhood. Perfect movie. It's Stephen King. It's it's it, it is drum, dramatic. It's a drama, but the horror is steeped in the premise, and the premise is terrifying. And the aftermath is again the dark ending is just equally terrifying that this guy is traumatized now he's fucked it's never there's no coming back from what happened to him you know it it, it, it everyone has to deal with certain situations in their life in different ways and when you're met with these very horrific experiences how do you rise above it and what 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 comes after like the the way this movie ends is like for him it doesn't seem like it's going to be very good yeah so, as I said earlier, this is my second time watching this movie. The first time, however, was fairly recent in the last couple of years. Uh, as a lot of people know that listen to the show, I am not a big fan of rewatches, mostly because I just don't have the time. So, when Tibu picked this movie, I was like, I like it. I just, you know, hopefully it doesn't go down with that. I rewatched this movie for the second time when I was on vacation in Key West. 
And I'm glad I did at that time because I watched it with other people. And obviously watching movies with other people for the most part is going to be an enjoyable experience. So I watched this with, I mean, there, there was a lot of us on vacation, but ultimately it was my, my dad, my stepmom, my father-in-law, well, not my, my brother-in-law's dad, mom. And this was all a movie of their, you know, they grew up with this movie. So it was, it was fun watching with them and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, this is just as good as I remember. I really, the gripes I have with this are ultimately going to be what I had talked about. The, I was a little bit disappointed because the very first beginning part of the movie was that car scene and it lost me a little bit. I'm like, how can you have a budget of this extent? And, but part of me was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, nitpicking a little bit here because, you know, I mean, I was, I was born in the North. I drive on roads like that. So, you know, 90% of the people that watch us are going to be like, Oh yeah, they're just not going to realize that they're not going to see it. Ultimately though, this is a very enjoyable movie. It's impressive how it keeps you reeled in when almost the entire movie is shot and filmed in one small bedroom. Do you think it does go with just two actors the whole time? Yes. And, and I don't want to compare it to another Stephen King movie, but, um, oh, God, what's one that came out a couple of years ago with the, the, the dude that has a heart attack when he's handcuffing his wife to the bed for some fun time? Uh, fucking. Gerald's Game. Yeah. Gerald's Game. This is very similar to Gerald's Game, obviously because it's another Stephen King novel, but that movie was awesome and it was very effective. And this one was as well too. So I almost wonder if, um, because I think it was Mike Flanagan that did that. I wonder if he kind of used this for inspiration. Um, Ultimately, so Tibu gave this a 10 out of 10. Um, It's not quite there for me, but I'm still coming in at a 9.25 because this movie is fucking awesome. It does a great job of keeping you reeled in. It's a great upon rewatches. The characters are phenomenal. The acting, the story, everything works. And even, again, I mean, you wouldn't think upon rewatch it would be as strong, as strong because of just, you know, two characters in a small setting. But I, this is a really good movie. I mean, well-deserved where it's at. I'll say that. I really like the family guy cut. On this one too. <laughs> yes. I need to, I need to rewatch that. Cause I've seen like, I think I've seen everything family guy and I don't, I don't remember the, the misery. So they do a bunch of, uh, yeah, yeah, they of, do, they do, uh, they do uh, stand by me. Yeah. They do this movie and yeah. a bunch of Stephen King. I think it was. I think it was when they were like trapped inside for a snowstorm or something. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, it was like for Stephen King. Yeah. So Boss Tuna is coming in at a nine point two five. Tibu is at a ten. Anything else you want to say about this movie, Tibu? I think I think Kathy Bates needs to be revisited for her performance as Annie Wilkes. I think she knocks it way further out of the park than she's ever given credit for even though she is given credit for this role i think it needs to be praised more to be honest with you i think this movie's fucking awesome 
yeah. It, as far as the horror community goes, I mean, she's really she's at the peak of where she, I mean, she can't go any higher from where she is. So, you know, congrats to her on, on, you know, winning that well-deserved award. Um, and I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, check it out. If you haven't seen it in a while, check it out. It is streaming free. Well, free if you have a paid subscription to HBO max, but Tibu, before we end this episode, is there anything you want to leave us with before we close her out? Don't become famous writers who can be easily tracked down to hotels where you light cigarettes and enjoy champagne after finishing your newest novel, only to be fucking stricken down, bedridden, and fucking captured by the number one fan. Yeah, don't do all that. And also, Double D! Double D! Gang, gang, son. Yeah, boy. All right, folks. I hope it. I, wait, before I say that, I will say stay tuned because when we come back, we will be covering the next feature review, which is going to be I Am Not a Serial Killer. And don't forget, we have Zombie Gem of the Week. I hope it was as good for you as it was for us. Boom. Peace.